Dementia Researcher podcast, talking careers, research, conference highlights, and so much more. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Adam Smith. I'm the Program Director for Dementia Researcher, and it's my pleasure to be hosting this show. For the next four days, we'll be bringing you a new podcast each day to share highlights from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, which, as you all know, is currently taking place in Amsterdam. Sadly, we're not there in person. Well, we're not, but some of our guests will be. However, thanks to the marvels of technology, we can enjoy most of the talks, but we will be missing getting our daily steps. But on the plus side, we can watch at home in our pyjamas, which I know I did today. Well, until lunchtime anyway. Um, with over 800 orals and thousands of posters, there's no way we'll be covering everything in these highlight shows. But instead, what we will do is bring together three people to talk about their best bits. So let's meet the guests. I'm delighted to welcome Sam Keat, who was... You can see is is I, I'm guessing you're outside. Or you, well, you can't see if you're listening to this, but if you're watching on YouTube, you can. Um, we've got Sam Keat, who is joining us live from Amsterdam. Hello, Sam. Hello. Uh, we also have Dr. Mizuki Morisaki, who is joining us from Bristol today. Hello. Oh, and do you know what? I've set myself up for failure here because I can't quite remember. <laughs> My third and final guest is uh, Dr. Arunima Sikda who is in Oxford. Uh, no, I am in oh. North Carolina, USA. <laughs> you are, you oh, you're close. You're not, close. Not, even, not even slightly close. <laughs> Somebody else is uh, North Carolina. Well, I'm in Oxford, uh, So, uh, but I wish I was in North Carolina. I'm sure the weather is better there than it has been in Oxford today. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Um, Let's start with some proper introductions. Uh, Aranima, since I got your location wrong, why don't you go first? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, thank you, Adam, for your such a nice introduction. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Aranima, and uh, I'm a uh, postdoc research associate working at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, USA, and my expertise are molecular biology and biochemistry. So I, my job is to do, uh, design the assays and screen compounds for uh, novel drug targets for the therapeutics. And uh, it involves different projects such as Alzheimer's that I'm going to, uh, I'm presenting in the, as an e-poster in this conference. And there are other projects like, such as antiviral projects also involved. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I was worried that we didn't have any fundamental scientists joining today because we've had a last minute change of guests. And I thought, well, it's always bad when you turn up and you've missed nobody's there to talk about some of the biggest talks because nobody else understands them. So I'm really pleased you managed to join us. Thank you. Um, Mizuki, why don't you go next? Right. Um, hello, I'm Mizuki and I'm in the University of Bristol working in health science, Bristol Medical School. Clinical Neuroscience Dementia Research Group. <laughs> so I work in the sort of medical school using the post, mainly post-mortem brain tissue from the brain bank that is closely related to our group. And mainly I do research looking at the depression and dementia. And then now I do some in vitro work looking at the antidepressant. So that's Sort of, it's not quite translational, but not quite basic, somewhere in between. <laughs> Amazing. And I noticed that one of the hot sessions from today was New Horizons on Human Postmortem Neuropathology, yes, which I, I assume you I attended. I did watch that. <laughs> 
So uh, if Melissa Murray is listening, you're going to get a review of your uh, session now. And last but not least, of course, super sub Sam Keat, who didn't even know he was joining this podcast till about seven minutes ago, uh, who has done amazingly well to drop in. So uh, Sam, no pressure. Uh, you can introduce yourself too. No pressure. I definitely won't be a super sub. But uh, uh, my name's Sam Keat, and I'm a PhD student at Cardiff University. Uh, and but I'm currently halfway through my PhD project. But I'm looking at a uh, the role of complement in Alzheimer's disease. And I'm mostly a bioinformatician and a geneticist. And I'm very lucky to be joining you live from Amsterdam today. So good avond. Uh, I probably butchered the Dutch there, but yeah, good avond from Amsterdam. No, that's brilliant. And we'll make, I think you're also tethered to your phone as well. So we apologize now if we have any, if we have any signal quality issues, but also a hot topic for you, because I see the, the big announcement for today was about the new CRISPR work. But maybe you'll talk to that. If not, I've got notes, so don't worry. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Why don't I give you a chance to talk about any work you've been presenting? Uh, Sam, are you presenting this week? Uh, unfortunately not, no. I'm just an no? attendee this week. But That's regretting okay. it, I'd love to influence in a poster because there's so many people there to talk to and network with. So I do feel the regret of not presenting a poster here. No, and I'm sorry for asking you first. <laughs> I, should have, <laughs> I should have asked it in advance. Uh, Mizuki, what about you? Are you presenting... No, no, I'm not presenting. <laughs> okay, but we know that Aranima is because you already said so at the start. What have you? Uh, tell us about your poster. Um, so the, my poster number is seven six four seven nine. If anyone interested, please go ahead and check it out. To summarize the story, so uh, I have been working with the kinase protein, uh, and this is a kind of non-receptor kinase. And uh, this protein is actually important uh, for phagocytosis and um, the innate immune response in, the, in our body. So this protein gets activated when it's uh, interact with a particular motif of a uh, receptor immunoglobin. So our target was to inhibit or uh, prepare some compounds or screen some compounds which can actually inhibit the interaction between that kinase protein and the uh, immunoglobin, the receptor protein, to break the bridge uh, with our compound. So we have like screen almost um, thousand compounds, and uh, we have developed our own assay, uh, TRFRT assay, and we have screened the compounds, and we have done uh, secondary assays such as SPR, ITC, and uh, GST pull-down assay, and we found that uh, there are some particular thiouric acid compounds which are interesting. And they shows the inhibition of that particular kinase protein with that uh, immunoglobin uh, protein. So that is what I am presenting in the poster. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so what 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 are the implications for that then? What 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 are the ne and the next steps? Uh, so next step will be to uh, check those compounds in the microglia cell. That will be kind of in vivo experiments to do. So that uh, we will look forward to do our with our collaborators because we are not doing this in vivo experiments such as uh, animal experiments in our facility, but our collaborator who are in a different institute in U.S. or Canada, even in U.K., um, they yeah they can do that in future. Brilliant. Well, I gather Cardiff's pretty good for collaborating. Uh, the DR, you're in the DRI, I assume, Sam. Uh, yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> 
So maybe you could reach out to Sam. Thank you very much for talking about that. So do go check out. What was that poster number again? Uh, 76479. 76479. So I'll, I'll go visit. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and the online, I mean, that's one thing, of course, to highlight to everybody is, is obviously the thousands of posters. I have to say, I think you have an advantage if you've actually watched this at home instead of in the conference, whilst you might... Because walking up and down the posters, I mean, given that they swap them every day as well, you don't leave your poster up all week like you do with many conferences. You put them up, you take them down the same day. Um, that it, It's just impossible to digest that many. Whereas online, I think you can... I know you can obviously look online even if you're there in person, but online at home, you can search for the people, you can search by topic. I know that they've just revised all how you find posters, which makes it a lot easier. And uh, I assume you've then got to log in and check to see if you've had questions and queries from people. Yeah, I have checked. Uh, until now, I haven't found any questions. No, well, uh, with 8,000, I think it was. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Chances are slim. <laughs> Uh, but no, it might also not be the day, I guess, because they, they, they vary by theme, don't they, each day? So it might be your theme later in the week. Thank you very much. OK, so let's get into your highlights and to the main point. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to go first. I'm going to ease you all into it and give you a little break. Um, the session I really enjoyed, Maria Carilla chaired a session on the work being done by the NIA to revise the clinical criteria for Alzheimer's disease. Um, this was very uh, towards the end of the day, I think 3.15. If you're watching on catch up, you can go back and watch this. Um, it included a panel discussion and a presentation from uh, Jose Montemini from the Alzheimer's Association and Clifford Jack from the Mayo Clinic. And there are three reasons why they're updating this guidance. Uh, firstly, in response to new treatments, um, because the present guidance is really aimed towards um, uh, being a framework for research, where, of course, now with disease-modifying therapies on the horizon, it's intended to be updated for clinical use uh, as well. Uh, secondly, with so many new biomarkers being validated um, the guidance needs to be updated to incorporate plasma biomarkers into the new criteria uh, and then thirdly um, I'm reading from my notes here research studies have demonstrated that imaging and fluid biomarkers with, uh, within the category are not equivalent for many users so they're updating biomarker classification criteria as well this was clearly, I mean, I don't think I fully understood everything that was discussed, but it was clearly a hot topic. It, it went on for 20 minutes longer than scheduled. You could see from home, there were queues of people queuing at every microphone, generally not really to ask a question, but to make a point about something they seemed to disagree on or that was slightly controversial with the, with the guidance that had been put forward. Uh, so obviously a hot topic. What the main takeaway from that session was is that they'd love you to go away and read the draft guidance that they've produced, which they've published online, and it's open for feedback. Um, they've got a massive panel of the great and the good that have contributed to this. So it's, it's a very esteemed panel of people. But if you go to aaic.als.org forward slash nia-aa, that should take you to the guidance. Uh, we've also tweeted it from the Dementia Researcher account today. So if you go to at dem underscore researcher, you can have a look at what they've published and they're welcoming feedback on that. I don't know. Did anybody else see that session? 
No. I unfortunately <laughs> didn't. I think I was at another session in person, but yeah, but clearly, I certainly heard a lot about it. Clearly, it, it, I mean, I think it's a hot topic, isn't it? That definition, moving away from just the biological to incorporate that for clinical with neurologists now, with this, who do we give these new um, amyloid therapies to, having that guidance and that clear definition of what constitutes disease is a hot topic. Uh, so go check that out. I think it's worth watching. Uh, Aronima, why don't you tell us your first highlight? What have you enjoyed today? Well, I enjoyed, um, first of all, the awardees uh, because uh, many scientists, many professors, they received the Lifetime Achievement Award today. That was pretty much interesting, uh, such as Anne Fagan uh, and Anne Fagan from uh, Washington University in St. Louis uh, for her research. And then um, Professor Philip uh, Seltens from uh, University Medical Center in Amsterdam because he established because of his research in dementia and also he established the alzheimer uh, center alzheimer research center there and also bruce miller from university of california uh, so after that i was uh, enjoying some of the sessions and um, uh, in the basic science and pathogenesis uh, section uh, there was a uh, topic on the APOE protein and there there was a talk like from, from five people uh, different people so I forgot totally <laughs> their name but uh, I remember for the first uh, speaker uh, she was from Boston University Professor Julia she was uh, she mentioned about how lipidosis is important uh, in the APO uh, 3 3 and APO 4 4 uh, protein and how that impact um, in the Alzheimer's disease and the dementia. So the, she presented the transcriptomics and proteomics data very well to show how this different form of the APOE can actually uh, help to understand uh, the basic of Alzheimer's disease and how it can be prevented. So, yeah. Was that the, because I saw one of the big announcements coming out of Alzheimer's Association, there's been this Boris Cantor research from Duke University and Ornit Chiba Falek, uh, who described an, uh, uh, this new therapy platform based on CRISPR and DCAS9 editing strategy to reduce APOE4. Is that the same talk? Is that a different one? Is that the same? Uh, it's a different one. It's a different, different one. one. Different okay, one. I'm gonna. I'm, I'll, I will bring that up later. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, what did you particularly enjoy about? Is there any relevance to your own work, or is this just seem like a, an interesting area? Yeah, it's an interesting area. I haven't found uh, any interesting until because it is the first day. So I'm looking forward to more for the drug development because that is the area I am working on. So yeah, I look forward to the next days in the conference. Oh, I think are we expecting some more big results from from the in the drug space? I think is that tomorrow. I think. I want to say tomorrow. We did a podcast a few weeks ago with Claire Sexton who highlighted that, so I might have to check back and see when that was. What about you, Sam? Let's come to you. What, what, what's your first highlight from the day? Um, so I suppose being in person, I think you touched on it, is getting the chance to see some of the brilliant posters in person. And uh, I think the kind of advantages you get at being at an in-person conference is being able to chat directly to the researchers about their topics and kind of asking questions about their research and bringing up ideas about your own research as well. And one of the first ones I actually went to, which really stood out for me, was um, 
from a person called Eloise Burson, who um, was at Stanford University. And uh, her poster was basically looking at whole genome deconvolution using ATAC-seq. Um, so looking at bulk ATAC-seq profiles and um, in tissue samples and basically using reference ATAC-seq profiles for single cells to basically try and deconvolute a bulk ATAC-seq sample, which I'd never heard of before. So I've heard of deconvolution in the sense of cell deconvolution and looking at bulk RNA-seq and using single cell reference profiles to be able to deconvolute those and look at populations of cells in a bulk sample. But I've never heard of it being done with ATAC-seq. So it was a very new concept and a, a very insightful concept for me. Um, so it obviously gave me a chance to talk about my own project, which incorporates bits of ATAC-seq. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a bit of an epigenetics nerd, so it gave me the chance to talk about epigenetics as well. So um, having this conversation with Eloise and a couple of her other um, people in her team was uh, a really in insightful insight into the, uh, uh, I suppose, the current technologies that are available and kind of gives me new ideas for my project as well. So um, that's one of the kind of first standouts I had was being able to have these conversations. Um, I think the second kind of standout for me was the first plenary session of the day. So uh, I'm going to absolutely butcher his name and I apologize. So Rick Ossenkoppel, who um, was presenting about PET, um, so tau PET, so the neuroimaging technique to look at tau pathology in the brain and how um, you can use distinct, distinct signals from this tau PET to look at the progression of Alzheimer's disease and look at the presence of tauopathies within the brain and the kind of diagnostic capabilities of this was really, really interesting to look at. Um, I'm certainly a, um, a very, very kind of firm uh, person when it comes to early diagnosis being key in Alzheimer's disease. And I think um, the combination of blood-based biomarkers and neuroimaging will be one of these really kind of big leaps forward in terms of getting this early and very accurate diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So that was a big standout and it was a fantastic talk. Yeah, I saw that one too. I, I completely agree. We've had Rick was on the podcast with us last year as well, talking about his work. So it was brilliant to see him get the opportunity to to um, to present that work. And and for I mean, I know that it's often so often we go to these conferences at the moment and it's all about blood based and fluid biomarkers. But it's great to see that that imaging uh, isn't going away and that it continues to advance just as rapidly. And, and at least we're still looking at the combination of those biomarkers and throw in digital as well, that actually it's not a case of should we use digital or fluid or imaging biomarkers. It's, it's moving towards using a combination of the three that I think is really exactly. exciting. Exactly. I think the more we understand about Alzheimer's as well, the, the more different we realize most Alzheimer's cases are. So some can be diagnosed using neuroimaging but some are better diagnosed using blood-based biomarkers, for example. There's not all Alzheimer's disease cases are the same, and we need a rich array of ways of being able to diagnose it to be able to effectively diagnose it. So um, the more research into both sides, the better, in my book. Absolutely. I think there's a statistic, that certainly that we're using in the UK at the moment, which is about 30% of diagnosis are also misdiagnosed and so anything that also improves the accuracy of that not just in terms of defining which type of dementia somebody has but also not to exclude that there could because we know there are all kinds of reasons for memory problems that might not be dementia related and, and if we can reduce misdiagnosis and potentially treat you know if particularly if what you discover is something that's treatable um all the more good for bringing this on and that's why uh, i imagine the dri is going to be one of the people bidding for this new million pounds 
there's a million pound bl- blood based biomarker challenge fund open in the UK at the moment between Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Research UK, I think the Postcode Lottery and NIHR were on that as well to work out how we put, because one of the frustrating things is it's, it's great to go to AIC and hear about all these lovely via, uh, validated um, tau biomarkers now as well and, and um, you know all these biomarkers, but they're not being used, not not in clinical, they might be as recruitment to check for recruitment to studies, but not as a as a real clinical diagnostic tool so great to see that progressing thank you sam mizuki let's come to you (laughs) sorry Uh, jumping on you there suddenly surprised you yeah it's your turn um, go okay um my highlight was actually also the same as plenary lecture about the tau paired but since you summarize everything no 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 you can you can you can can add to that conversation you might have a different spin um I could go to a different one. I had several that I find it quite interesting, so I will talk something else. Um, the talks that I watched were the Beyond the Classics. So, like, the... Uh, I can't remember the exact title, but basically, like, looking at the human neuropathology in the neurodegenerative diseases in a kind of new perspective. So, a lot of the talks are basically looking at something like slightly from a different perspective. For example, instead of looking at the amyloid beta and the tau pathology, they look at the sleep disturbance happening in AD patient and then looking at the specific uh, nuclei in the hypothalamus or looking at like... And the clearance system as well. Yeah, or things like, you know, what is the most vulnerable population of the cell within the Alzheimer's disease so like it's not just like everything but like specifically looking at this cell population is more vulnerable compared to AD and against aging so yeah yeah because aging I know it's your particular you're interested in aging as uh, as a whole aren't you that's your yeah so I can't quite remember the title although I was watching online but the reason why I was interested in the psychiatry and lesson was because I was looking at the stress system and then particular hormone called cortisol is whole related to psychogenism. So I was I was I found it quite interesting because sleep disturbance in asthma disease is quite well known. So is there new is there new findings emerging from that uh, consideration more, to stress systems? Um, they didn't mention anything about stress. They just focus on psychogenism. But the fact that no one really looked at it, despite the fact that fifty percent of neuronals loss happened in that small nuclei, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because why nobody has ever looked at it? And that's the great thing, isn't it? I mean, when you come to this, even you can, you're sure, you could spend all week going off and looking at talks in your field, or you can also go look at other things that are brush up alongside and get those new ideas, like you mentioned before, Sam, some new techniques and things. Thank you, Mizuki. Um, so I, I'm going to, before we move on and I come back to you all again, I'll, I'll touch on that CRISPR one that we mentioned earlier. So um, this this was uh, interesting enough to justify a press release from Alzheimer's Association. So the, I'm going to read some of this. Uh, two new CRISPR-based strategies uh, offer hope for the next generation of Alzheimer's treatments was the headline from this. Um, one of them seeks to dampen the impact of um, the most common Alzheimer's risk gene, which we call no, is ApoE4, and the other aims to discrete, uh, decrease production of a toxin protein in the brain. So Brent Alston, 
uh, and his colleagues from University of California, San Diego, have developed a gene editing strategy that targets the amyloid precursor protein, so APP, um, which Olson calls a, a gene with a central and indisputable role. Um, uh, de uh, depending on how it's cut by various enzymes in the brain, APP can create products that are either protective or pathologic. And this uh, approach hopes to reduce the production of beta amyloid while increasing neuroprotective actions. Um, testing the process in Alzheimer's disease mouse models, the researchers found that CRISPR treatment led to a reduction of beta amyloid plaques and associated markers in brain inflammation and an increase in neuroprotective APP products um, and the correction of brain behavioral and nervous system function deficits. Um, so this is interesting. In addition, the CRISPR editing did not lead to any undesirable effects in the normal mice. So that that was uh, interesting. And alongside that, the other story was about this Boris Cantor from Duke that I mentioned before and Ornichika Falek uh, described an epigenome therapy platform based on CRISPR and DCAS9 editing strategy intended to reduce ApoE4. They found that their lead candidate can robustly reduce levels of ApoE4 in both human and uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, derived miniature brains from an Alzheimer's patient, and humanized mouse models as well, without changing levels of other APOE variants uh, that are thought to be neutral or protective. So that that sounds quite a breakthrough. I hadn't I hadn't come across anything before in that that space. They so what they think is they've now got a proof of concept and evidence to support this approach as a potential new strategy to treat uh, Alzheimer's, so reducing that APOE4 protein. Uh, did any of you see the session on that? Have you got anything to add to that? I unfortunately didn't, but that's definitely one of the ones I need to catch up on because I, I personally have a very firm interest in CRISPR-Cas9 because I think everyone knows about its potential and what it can do in treatment and gene editing, all this kind of stuff. So um, certainly using it, for Alzheimer's disease is a very promising concept. And I think uh, the recent results and all the conversations that have been had at AIC about the impact of this APP targeted Cas9, uh, I think it's hugely exciting and another kind of direction in which CRISPR-Cas9 can head down in terms of a potential treatment and a potential gene therapy. Which has got to be a good way forward. Um, Aronima, I'm going to come to you back next for, for have you got another highlight to share? Um, for the highlights, yeah, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, that I got that um, in the basic science and pathogenesis section, uh, I found uh, Professor Julia's talk about the apo, uh, ApoE in the glial cells. And there are other talks about the ApoE4 uh, from other professor, I forgot her name, but she mentioned that, um, that ApoE4 can cause uh, uh, the menopause in in females and that that can actually significantly uh, increase the chances of alzheimer's in the female in the in the woman so that was kind of pretty much interesting i didn't know that before so that was an interesting talk i don't know have you heard of it or not and also there was another uh, talk in the same section uh, by a professor from uh, southern california so he mentioned that the intake of omega-3, so actually in the earlier ages, in the 50s, if we take um, 
more of the omega-3 protein in our diet, the chances of getting Alzheimer actually reduces when we get old. So that was really, of, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> did, did they also have one after that that talks about red wine being a good, a good protective factor as well? Eating fish makes you healthy. Is that the yeah. no. really? <laughs> I, and I've read something recently that talked about plant-based diets, obviously having the same. And Sam Moxon's talked about that for us before as, as well. I think that when you get into those kind of dietary things, and, and those, there are so many other factors to play, aren't there? That it's so hard to really, really prove, other than yeah. to say do, do it anyway because it's a good thing. Yeah. I don't know. Have anybody, did anybody else see those? Have you got anything to add to that? <laughs> Is there, actually, that's a good question. Have you seen anything today that you thought, I don't believe that? that that's just not right <laughs> have you seen any is there any snake oil some kind of snake oil presentation you went yeah i'm not sure i buy into that you don't don't t say any names for goodness sake <laughs> <laughs> you mean in this conference like aic or any oh no 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 today let's, today. let's stick with today <laughs> have you seen anything disbelieving to, this is not that we're saying that that the omega-3 isn't a protective factor um uh, I'm, i feel sure it is <laughs> I'm going to go back and backtrack slightly on, on that. Um, and so, answer sort of postcard. If you have any strong views on whether omega three is a good protective factor to reduce <laughs> risks of Alzheimer's disease, and then if you take it, you won't get it. Do reply and let us know. Um, Sam, uh, have you got anything else to highlight? Um, so, another poster that um, unfortunately I wasn't able to catch up with the amazing Fari Kuchikali. Um, who is part of the uh, Christel Steger's lab in um, uh, Belgium. Uh, I unfortunately wasn't able to catch up with Fari because he's a very busy man because he's um, been talking about his project all day. Um, but his project, uh, which is looking at the integration of Alzheimer's disease GWAS um, with molecular QTLs. Um, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a big kind of GWAS person and a, a big geneticist. And um, Fari's an, a fantastic researcher and a fantastic person in kind of pushing forward this post-translational well, this post-GWAS translation, um, seeing exactly what the kind of GWAS loci translate to in terms of uh, these molecular QTLs, which he refers to, and um, his kind of ways of being able to um, translate the findings that we get from GWAS and um, seeing exactly what these signals mean. Uh, and I'm hopefully going to bump into him tomorrow to talk about his project a bit further and his kind of newest findings. Um, but certainly his poster was just absolutely fantastic i think it was just as a bioinformatician and a geneticist it was just mind-blowing how much work fari's done and how incredible his work is as well i think i'm was absolutely blown away by some of the work he's done so it's um, amazing awesome. to see it in person great well that sounds that should be definitely on everybody's list to go look at uh, mizuki any any more from you it's again related to aging and neurodegeneration. But I Wait a second, what about the post-mortem neuropathology one? Um, You've got to talk to both. No, I'm not going to talk about post-mortem because I found something else that's more interesting. Okay, wait a second, you're not going to tell your boss that, are you? No, 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 no. It's like everything Lindsay, if you're listening, <laughs> no, um, she didn't mean that. No, I mean, like, there's another thing, like, I was quite interested because we talked about the um, females having a higher risk of the asthma disease and then yeah. there was the talk in the defining frontiers of neuropathologic changes in aging and neurodegenerative disease 
and then they actually talked about um, the sort of like potential mechanism why the females are at higher risk after the metaphors. So basically, this was a second talk talking about the um, pathways and enzyme. So like focusing on sort of like mediator. Because when you have like Asthma disease, it's not just Asthma disease, you get tau pathology and amylobeta and also there are overlap and comorbidity with other neurodegenerative diseases. And then they're talking about, oh, there might be some mediator that increase the risk. Um, yeah, so looking oh, that's at in, that, that is interesting. And also yeah. great to see that, that um, gender-specific research is actually moving up in profile as well, because we know that Alzheimer's affects more women than it does men, yet all too often we, you know, there isn't that, that focus in on, on those areas of high concern. Yeah, uh, but I think, but also that like, you can't eliminate the fact that females live longer. So the chances of getting Alzheimer's disease is higher because male by that point may not be around. Yeah. <laughs> so like as well, as much as like we focus on hormone and female, but we have to think about those other factors. So like, but it's still interesting. Of of course. Well, do you know what? I I think we we're kind of I'm, I'm I really am going to try and keep these down. I'm notorious for making all my podcasts an hour long, and I'm determined to make these listenable so that wherever you're staying in Amsterdam you can listen to this while you're walking to the conference or before you start the day to make sure that you can do so I'm we're gonna try and keep a control over it there are a few other award winners uh Aranima you mentioned some of that you mentioned Philip Anan and Bruce Miller earlier um some other award winners we should mention were uh Zoyoung Chen who uh, from Washington University who won the early career researcher award uh Khalid Iqbal um got an award for basic science and development disabilities. Uh, John Schott from UCL, where I work, um, got an award for distinguished service to iStart. Um, Christian Lazana Reeves from Indiana University won the uh, Inga Grung Iqbal Award for Alzheimer's. Uh, and Oscar Hansen, uh, who's also been on the podcast earlier this year to talk about his work on biomarkers, uh, won the De Leon Prize in Neuroimaging. Really? Won the De Leon Prize in Neuroimaging? <laughs> okay. But, uh, maybe I've got that the other way around. But yeah, Oscar Hansen won an award as well, and um, Michael Gruff and uh, Alex Pinchebine uh, from Lund University, who were all award winners. And I think some of those have given talks, and you can watch that award session back uh, as well. Uh, before we wrap up, are there any final final thoughts, any last highlights? What, um, or I'll tell you what I will do. Um, we'll ask you what you're most looking forward to over the rest of the week. Sam, why don't you go first? What I'm most looking forward to for the rest of the week is just... Uh, the opportunity to bump into the 7,000 people that are here. Because um, I think on the first day, I think you realise how many people are here and there's so many people you want to speak to that you find out are coming, but the chances of bumping into them are very, very slim. So uh, I think what I'm looking forward to is seeing the list of people that are here and being able to potentially have these conversations with some absolutely brilliant researchers at the AAIC. So um, I think my kind of thing I'm looking forward to is doing a lot more networking. Uh, and seeing a few more posters as well. Well done. And you must go to that ECR student lounge. You can get headshots there at lunchtime and they've got some good talks going on. And of course, you've got the DRI, ARUK, Alzheimer's Society reception, which yep. is 
tonight, tomorrow night, tomorrow uh, night, Tuesday night, Tuesday evening. Yeah, and yeah. the I Start reception as well, which is always worth a visit. Anything? What about you, Mizuki? forward to listen to the talks of course um there is a, like psychiatric talks as well as like information so my plan is to get my colleagues to watch it with me in the presentation room. what a great idea yeah go take up a meeting room at work i was going to say are you still in the lab tomorrow but yeah go take over a meeting room yeah. and fill it on the screen thank you and uh, aranima yeah for me i will check on those the crispr based um I mean, meet uh, talk recording. So I will go back. And the drug them. ones, we're waiting yeah, for, yeah, yeah, the drug discovery <laughs> ones. Yeah. So I want to go back those. And also, speci uh, specifically for the clinical trials, some of the drugs from some companies they might present uh, maybe tomorrow or uh, day after tomorrow. I'm not sure. I haven't checked the full agenda, but I think some of them will present tomorrow. So we'll get, go and check on those. And I will uh, look forward to someone who can, who is like, um, who has sent some question for my poster. I can answer those. Yeah. <laughs> Interested. Listen, anybody who's listening, please go and ask Aranima a question on her poster. Even if it's just, just drop her a moment and say, great poster. Go do that. <laughs> do, do, no, don't wait. Go do that right now. Thank you very much to all my uh, brilliant guests, the incredible uh, last-minute addition to the podcast who did amazingly well, Do uh, Sam Keat, nearly called you Dr. Soon, uh, Dr. Mizuki Morisaki uh, from Bristol, and the incredible uh, Aranima Sidka, uh, Dr. Ara uh, Aranima Sidka um, from Carolina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you've all been amazing. Uh, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Uh, you'll find profiles on all of our brilliant guests and information on the conference. Uh, on Twitter, if you search hashtag AIC23, there's so much there. Of course, if you've not already registered, you can, and you're an iStart member, you can still register for the conference even now. And even though it's already started, it's free of charge for iStart members and you can watch online. Uh, everything that's already been shown is immediately available, like 10 minutes later, as soon as it's broadcast live for you to watch back so uh, I hope you'll do that and go and have a look at some of the, uh, the things that our guests have talked about today uh, we'll be back tomorrow with three more guests sharing their AAIC highlights I'm Adam Smith and you've been listening to the Dementia Researcher Podcast thank you the Dementia Researcher Podcast was brought to you by University College London with generous funding from the UK National Institute for Health Research, Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Association and Race Against Dementia. Please subscribe, leave us a review and register on our website for full access to all our great resources. DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk